Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Generation Y ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, and social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store, for accepting payments to manage inventory. It has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one true source. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gen Y, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gen Y to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash gen Y. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Audible. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. You got bestsellers, new releases, and mysteries and thrillers. I'm currently listening to A Rip in Heaven by Janine Cummings. It's a true story that happened in April 1991 about some teenagers, family members that were violently attacked. Two would perish, and the one surviving one would end up being accused of the crime. But the reality of what happened is much worse. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. How you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm doing all right, Justin. How are you? I'm okay. On the last episode, I mentioned that I will be doing a podcast event with other true crime podcasters in Toronto. That's August 18th of 2019. If you're interested, go out to theroyal.to and navigate through their schedule to August, to the 18th, in fact, and get yourself some tickets. It's going to be really cool. There'll be uh, some podcasters you listen to on there. We got a nice email from some people up in Canada. Yes, and speaking of Toronto, heard from a guy named David. He wanted me to give a shout out to Steph in Toronto. Thank you both for listening. And you recently just saw a band play here in Kansas City? This is crime related. Yeah, I don't know if any of you are Slayer fans, but they're on their final world tour. And if you're on the fence about it, you need to go because it was pretty amazing. And Jägermeister just put out a limited edition Slayer bottle. And tonight's case will have a tie-in with Jägermeister. Thinking about Jägermeister, I've had a few shots of Jäger in my life. And it's one of those things where I don't know how to pronounce this properly, probably, but it's anise, black licorice flavor. And I really don't like that flavor. I do happen to like Jägermeister, but it's a little strong for me. I, I don't know why. I, I'm right there with you. I, I actually don't like the licorice flavor either, but I'll have a Sazerac, which has absinthe in it, which uh, if you don't like Jäger, don't ever drink absinthe. <laughs> actually, you know, it's funny, like I've only had absinthe maybe once in my life, but I really liked it. Oh, it was really good. In fact, if I had a choice, I would always choose absinthe. Over Jaeger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Over every time. But Jaegermeister is a little tough on me. Not something I would regularly want to drink. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, DoorDash. If you're looking to get more from delivery, you can get it with Dash Pass by DoorDash. Plus, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Dash Pass is only $9.99 a month. You get special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, and... With DashPass, you get $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. I use it all the time. Sometimes I just can't leave the house. I have too much going on. I got to edit. And uh, 
I'll get my food delivered today. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and more. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash. That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Use code GENY24. That code again, GENY24. Subject to change, terms apply. If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C-Holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. So tonight's case takes place uh, March 24th, 2012. It's in Carbondale, Illinois. A woman in her early 20s gets a cryptic message saying, help me, from her ex-boyfriend. She arrives at his apartment to help him, and by morning, she's dead. So the question is, was it homicide or was it suicide? And I always think of those pictures uh, you know, that you find in the true crime groups, you know, was it murder or suicide? And it has like the picture of the woman that's laying on the floor with a gun in her hand and a cigarette. And you have to take into account all the things in the picture and make your decision. This case, very much like that. So what are we talking about tonight, Aaron? Tonight is the case of Molly Young. Molly Marie Young was the youngest of three, born to Larry and Kathy Young. She enjoyed photography and art and was known to be a nonconformist in high school. Relatable. <laughs> her dad described her as being very talented, being very caring, compassionate. You know, she's a real person, so she's not just all butterflies and sunshine. Molly struggled with depression. At some point, she discovered that she had a lump on her neck, and her mind immediately went to cancer. And I don't blame her for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime you feel a lump on your body, go get it checked out. And for those of you who have cable, you might have seen Dr. Pimple Popper. So nowadays, you realize that a lot of times a lump isn't cancer, but it can be cancerous. She did have it checked out, and it turns out it was not thyroid cancer. It was not malignant. No, it was removed. It was not cancerous. But you can only imagine if if she believes it's cancer, that just drove her depression to deeper depths. She went to university. She was studying at Southern Illinois University, and she was living with her grandmother. At this time, she was dating a guy named Richard Minton. He goes by Richie. And he worked as a police dispatcher in Carbondale. They began dating in 2011. Molly was head over heels for him. Molly's family, not so much. I think her father says that he didn't like his teeth or his smile. He has a very specific thing he doesn't like about uh, Richard. That's relatable because my mom would always pick out characteristics of my friends that she didn't like and tell me about it. They found him to be narcissistic, manipulative, and an arrogant jerk. They just didn't like him. When Molly became pregnant, she decided that she would have an abortion. After she had the abortion, they broke up. This wasn't the first time they broke up, but... They broke up soon after this abortion. Well, and she personally wanted the abortion because she didn't want Richie around the child, treating the child the way he treats her. That was the reasoning 
she gave to her friends. Richie, on the other hand, he just thought it was a bad idea because their relationship was very rocky. He didn't make that much money. All the other reasons why he wasn't ready for fatherhood. Well, let's get into around the time that everything goes down. On the night of March 22nd, this is 2012, Molly went to a concert with a friend named Cullen Stout. Cullen's disabled. His personal assistant is the one that drove them to the concert that night. She was picked up between 8 and 9 p.m., and they stayed out till about 1.30 or 2 in the morning. I think Cullen really leaned toward that 2 a.m. Now, this is kind of important because of some other information that we'll talk about later. On March 23rd, 2012, at around 10 p.m., Molly's mom checks in on her, finds her in bed, wearing her pajamas. They say goodnight to each other, and Kathy goes to bed. At around 5.30 a.m. the next morning, Kathy wakes up, has a gut feeling that something's wrong. She goes to check on Molly, finds that she's not in her bed, tries to text Molly, tries to call her, isn't getting anywhere, any response. So she starts driving around the neighborhood. She knows that Molly and Richie have a history, but she doesn't know where Richie lives. She drove around because she thought she knew the area in which he lived. It's around nine in the morning on March 24th that Wesley Romack, who is Richie Minton's roommate, calls 911. And he's reporting that Someone was dead in their apartment. I don't want to read into the 911 calls because you never know how somebody's going to sound on a 911 call. But Wesley seems very calm, collected, and states that somebody's dead at their apartment in kind of an odd way. And then he passes the phone over to Richie. Richie told the dispatcher and this is someone that he worked with, that when he woke up, he found Molly next to him, but she wasn't responsive. And he saw that she had a pill bottle next to her, and he thought maybe that she had overdosed. And he says she bled out through her nose, which you don't bleed out through your nose from an overdose. You just die from the overdose. But he says he sees blood everywhere. And so this is what he said in the 911 call. He said, my girlfriend just committed suicide. Those are his words. Now he hangs up that call and according to him, he starts trying to give her CPR. But about seven minutes later, Richie called the non-emergency line and he said, hey, um, can you send the sergeant? She didn't OD. I just found my gun laying underneath her. Molly hadn't overdosed, she had been shot in the head. This is where the question is. I mean, according to Richie, she must have shot herself in the head with his gun. And this is a check mark in Richie's favor. He calls 911. He doesn't know her cause of death. So he's assuming, because he sees a bottle of pills and his girlfriend's unresponsive or his ex-girlfriend. So he's trying to make sense of what's happening. He's trying his best. That's a heightened situation. He gets it wrong. He calls back and corrects. I put this in his favor. And underneath her is the gun, according to Richie. And on the other side of her is her phone. It's her phone and the pill bottle. And they're actually down kind of by her ankles. The gun's underneath her torso. So detectives get to the apartment They find Richie in the living room. Molly is next to a bed in the bedroom. Richie talks about trying CPR. Here's a problem. Normally when you get into a situation like this, you need to lock things down. You need to preserve evidence. At some point here, either before the detectives arrive or shortly after, he's allowed to wash up. He changed his clothing and use soap and water. And apparently, the officers didn't have a problem with this. The officers get his statements. He will talk about how Molly was suicidal. 
the officers get a search warrant to go search Molly's room, or essentially her grandmother's house, and they pull her laptop, they find a note in the room, and her phone records. On the laptop, they will find that somebody searched for suicide, how to suicide, and there's a note they find that essentially... It's not a suicide note. I mean, I guess you could read it as a suicide note, but it was more or less a farewell note. They also find her journals where she talks about being sad and uh, just unhappy with life. So the investigators say, this is a suicide. Case closed. Well, I don't know about closed, but it, it definitely was uppermost in their minds that this looked like. She most likely took her own life. They take Wesley and Richie to the station for statements, but it doesn't feel like they're really locking anything down here. Well, here's where we got to kind of start over a little bit. They show up. The first responders are there. They're uh, wanting to question Richie and Wesley. They give these statements. They take them down to the station. They ask for permission to search his apartment, and Richie says no. And then they go off to go get a search warrant. I'm not sure how they don't have probable cause here. <laughs> I mean, you, you get a slight whiff, whiff of marijuana, you got probable cause to kick in a front door, but... They didn't find any drugs like that. Yeah, but you have a dead body with a gun and a guy saying, oh, my girlfriend killed herself they don't have probable cause I, apparently so they take seven hours to get a search warrant to search his house now they've already searched molly's house <laughs> they had that done within hours of discovering the body the carbondale police do do something right here because they call in the illinois state police Richie is a dispatcher for the Carbondale Police Department. So it's kind of a conflict of interest there. So they need to bring in another authority. That seems like a good call. Yeah, because we wouldn't even have a Stephen Avery case if uh, <laughs> Manitowoc County had done this properly. But yeah, we might not. You know, but here Carbondale actually does call in the Illinois State Police. So the Illinois State Police get there about an hour and a half after Richie's call. And he lays out the way the night went, the way the morning went, according to him. He said that the night before he'd gotten really drunk. They do find evidence of that because they find that he had vomited on himself at some point. So there's that. According to Richie, this is how the night went. At 9 p.m., he showed up uh, at a friend's house with a bottle of Jägermeister. And they start to party. They end up changing venues. They go to a bar. Now, you can't just bring in your own bottle of Jägermeister to a bar. So, what does Richie do? He gets a pitcher of Jack and Coke. Not a pitcher of beer. Between a bottle of Jäger, Jack and Coke, and then whatever other drinks they mix in, uh, they're pretty wasted. This group of friends, including Richie, go to another friend's house where they continue to drink. At around 2.30 a.m., a female friend decided that they should take Richie home because, I don't know, maybe he'd die of alcohol poisoning if he kept going and he wasn't capable of driving home. So they take him home and at around 2.54, Richie will call Molly and they'll talk. And then at... 3.28 a.m., he texted Molly, help me. So Molly leaves her house, goes to him to help him. When she gets to his apartment, we have three quick calls from Molly. I'm here. Where are you? Let me in. She gets access to his apartment. She takes care of him. She tries to clean him up, clean up his vomit, get him out of his dirty clothes, and... Uh, Richie says he passes out shortly after she arrives. And at this point, Wesley is not there, Richie's roommate. 
He's working a night shift at Panera Bread. He doesn't get off work until about 5.30 a.m. According to Richie, he wakes up around 9 a.m. That's when he found her unresponsive. And he wakes up at 9 a.m. because his coworkers are texting him, you're late for work. You're supposed to be here taking 911 calls. Where are you? So he says he wakes up at 9 because he was supposed to be at work at 7, <laughs> two hours late, and he calls work. Well, he doesn't even call work. He says he calls 911, which technically is work, sort of, but not to call in late or anything, but to report his girlfriend has taken her own life. So around 7 p.m. on March 24th, Richie was given a blood alcohol test. They wanted to see how drunk he was. While we know he drank a lot the night before, well, by that time, you know, enough time had passed that they weren't going to get good results from this test. No, it's 24 hours later. Give me a break. As you go through this case, there are some very odd choices made, right? By investigators. Absolutely. I don't even know why they bothered with that. So hours later, after Richie's taken to the station, that's when they call in the state police. By the time the state police get there, Richie's parents are at the police station. Richie's lawyer is at the police station. And Richie's statement is, I got drunk. I asked for help. She was suicidal. Now she's dead. And then he shuts down, stops answering questions. He refers the state police to his lawyer. So he's only given a statement to the Carbondale police. They inform Kathy, her mother, of her death. When Larry, her father, learns of this, he will go down to the station. And he's uh, approached by a lieutenant from the state police who, this is according to Larry, informs him that the investigation is already botched and they allowed Richie to wash up and change his clothes. So this is Larry's first impression of the investigation about his daughter. And first impressions are everything. Like at this point, it doesn't really matter if they are doing a bang up job. He's being told it's already been botched. And for the most part, it has been. Again, you have to preserve the scene. You have to lock things down. And by letting Richie clean up and by not searching anything, they didn't even take his computer until much later. Months later. But they had Molly's computer the day of. Really put that in perspective. The victim is being investigated way more than the suspect. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the day goes longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security system I use and recommend. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by US News and World Report. Its advanced technology protects every home window and door, while cameras keep watch for suspicious activities 24-7. There's no long-term contract. You'll get the emergency response you need at half the cost of traditional home security at less than a dollar a day. You install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself. I did mine. It was about 20, 25 minutes from start to finish. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can have the professionals do it. Protect your home today. Generation Y listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for fast protect monitoring, just visit simplysafe.com slash Gen Y. That's simplysafe.com slash Gen Y. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Daylight savings is starting up for most states. The goal? To give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there's more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, and that's ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash GenY. So here's how it works. You put your job out on ZipRecruiter. They send it out to over 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. 
ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes and its algorithm to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post to ZipRecruiter get qualified candidates within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash Gen Y. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gen Y. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let's talk real quick about Wesley. Wesley was questioned. He said that he ended up coming home and plugging in his phone because it had died. He discovered that Molly had texted him a number of times. Then he went to bed at 7.15 a.m. But let's talk about those texts because she sent him some very odd texts. Yeah, at 3.54 a.m., she texted him and said that she's coming over to help out Richie. At 3.56, she texts, he's so drunk he can't walk. And then at around 4.40 a.m., there's a text saying, Richie's texting Chloe and said he needed her and wanted her to come over to have sex with him. I think I'm going to shoot myself in the head. I'm really sorry you have to come home to that. That's a pretty disturbing text. You would think that if he saw the message where she says that she's going to kill herself and he, she's sorry that he's going to have to come home to that, you would think that would prompt him to go look for her. I mean, again, he was working up until early in the morning there, and he was going to come home, does that not prompt a search? Instead, he makes it sound like he saw there were some messages from Molly, and then he went and checked on Richie, and then, you know, eventually he just went to bed at around 7.15 in the morning. And then, of course, the story is that he calls it 9 for Richie. That's a little suspicious, I think. Wesley's statement is he gets home, he plays his guitar, plays some video games, and then goes to bed, and then wakes up. He checks on Richie, something to that effect. But checking on Richie, he doesn't notice a girl's bloodied body laying next to his bed. It's kind of a weird statement. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, and you wonder, is he telling the truth? Wesley never, he doesn't call for a lawyer. Now, we know Richie did. And Justin, people probably should watch what they're saying to the police when they're being questioned. But Richie is in a unique situation and a unique position here because both of his parents have ties to law enforcement. Richie's father works for the Cybercrimes Division, and his mother is a dispatcher at another department. So... They all work for law enforcement. They know protocol. They know procedure. And they know an investigation and how it's done. That alone should bring in some questions here. The fact that investigators were focused on Molly and not Richie from the get-go. While he's at the police station, and notice I didn't say uh, detained or arrested or being held Uh, While he's at the police station, he's allowed to make a phone call where he calls Amber, the dispatcher, who he spoke to on the 911 call, and he asks Amber, could you get a hold of one of the police officers at the scene and have them uh, get Molly's phone for me? Essentially, he just asked, can you have one of the officers at the scene tamper with evidence and get her phone? And he's really interested in Molly's phone. And Amber, the dispatcher, actually does call one of the officers on the scene who refuses to get her phone because the crime scene photographers haven't shown up yet to document the scene. Yeah, when you work for law enforcement, you can leverage it for your benefit. Yeah, it may not always work, but... The fact that he did that meant he felt comfortable making that call. They determined this a suicide, and then Illinois State Police, they have a different opinion, and they're investigating this as a homicide. Now, why would they think it's a homicide, Aaron? One of the things that probably signaled this as being a homicide, the gun that was found next to Molly belonged to Richie Minton. 
It was a 45 caliber handgun. They noticed Molly, it appears, must have used the gun using her non-dominant hand and fired the gun at a downward trajectory, which seems, well, unlikely and near impossible. Yeah, she used her left hand downward from front to back of the head. So essentially holding your left hand with the gun almost against your top of your skull. So you can shoot yourself with your non-dominant hand. I absolutely buy that. But wouldn't you just hold it either horizontally or even have it shooting upwards out the top of your head? I mean, sorry to be graphic, but downwards from front to back is a really awkward trajectory to hold this gun and to shoot yourself with. And they also questioned why Richie wouldn't have been awoken by this thing going off. It's a 45 caliber handgun. It's loud. It is a very loud uh, weapon. I've shot them many times. I will give Richie a pass on this one, though, because if you've drank Jägermeister and a pitcher full of Jack and Coke, uh, you're passed out. You're blacked out. I could see sleeping through that because you're not really sleeping at that point. You're not responsive to the world. I myself am a very light sleeper. If you drop a paperclip on the floor, I'm waking up. Aaron, what kind of sleeper are you? (laughs) Well, I'm a heavy sleeper and it takes a lot to get me up. Uh, Didn't you sleep through, I don't know, a tornado that took off the roof of your house? (laughs) Yeah, I, I was woken by my wife. And then as I went into the hallway, I actually turned around and went back to bed. (laughs) As your roof was being torn apart. Yeah. The roof in the bathroom, which was just off my bedroom. Yeah. I, when I'm asleep, I like to be asleep and I don't know what wakes me up other than my alarm clock. I'm good at getting up to that, but all kinds of racket. Yeah. That doesn't really work. The only reason why I'm pointing this out is because this is a hugely, uh, contested point of there's no way you could sleep through a gunshot. Well, why didn't any of the other neighbors report a gunshot? They're in an apartment. No one heard this? Could have been muffled some way. It's muffled somewhat, they say, because it's against her head and the time of the morning it was. We could give him a pass on this, meaning he hasn't out here possibly. That's not to say... This is how it went down. It just means this is a real possibility that he could have been blacked out and nothing would get him up at that time. Also, she doesn't have any gunshot residue on her hand. She doesn't have any, uh, what it's called, back spatter, any blood on her hand. There's no fingerprints on the gun. Well, there are at least none that you can lift and use. Yeah. Now, this is actually pretty common. Uh, Just because you pick up a gun does not mean that you leave fingerprints or usable prints on the gun. And believe it or not, just because you pick up a gun and fire it doesn't always put gunshot residue on your hand. And just because you fire a gun against something that's going to bleed doesn't always mean, or it's just not impossible for you to not have back spatter. Yeah, it's one of those things where you would say, most often, you would see back spatter, you would see gunshot residue. You would see fingerprints, whatever. Or you would see one of the three at least. But it's possible to not have those things. Now, they do find gunshot residue all over her clothes, all over Richie's clothes. And Richie was wearing pajama pants that night. But while he was drinking, he had cargo shorts on. Those cargo shorts were found out in the living room, and they detect gunshot residue on his cargo shorts, but not on her hands. So again, let me reemphasize, just because you shoot a gun doesn't mean there's always gunshot residue on your hand, but when you find the gunshot residue all over the apartment, it's a little weird that they're not finding it on her hand. They did find blood spatter on his pajama pants on the right leg. And there's droplets of blood 
too. Like blood dripped on it, which that to me, that doesn't happen. Like there shouldn't be any blood on his pajama pants. Now, if you say, oh, well, he gave her CPR. Well, then you would have smears of blood. Or if there was blood on the carpet and he kneeled down, you would have the blood soaking into his pajamas. You wouldn't have spatter and you wouldn't have drops. So WTF right now. (laughs) Oh, and it gets worse because they find scratches on Richie. Yeah, it's on like his back by his armpit and they find his DNA under her fingernails. Now, Richie has an explanation. He said when he was giving her CPR, she must have scratched him somehow. Because I don't know how that happens. I don't know either. I There's no logical explanation. Uh, sorry, but a dead person doesn't scratch you. It just doesn't happen. If he just had scratch marks on him, I could give him a pass and say, well, it was a crazy night of drinking, or maybe he walked into something. But when you have scratch marks on you and your DNA is found under her fingernails, there's a connection. They also found two other DNA profiles under her fingernails. But this bang-up investigation doesn't bother taking DNA from the roommate Wesley or anyone else because, again, they deemed it a suicide right off the bat. State police saying, this, there's a little bit more to this. Her body goes to the medical examiner. Medical examiner looks at the bullet wound, finds multiple bruises on her body, on her legs, and on her head. I know people have bruises just because they bump into tables and whatnot, but when your body's found dead (laughs) and you are at your ex-boyfriend's house who you've fought with and broken up with, wouldn't it just be assumed that these bruises might have been inflicted by beatings or strikes? They might indicate that a struggle took place and When they took a look at the scene, they felt like there may have been a struggle in that room. Oh, you have scratch marks, you have bruising, and you have a gunshot victim. I don't know why they would come to that conclusion, but yeah, I would say so. Molly's parents fully believe that this was a homicide. Yeah. But the medical examiner says, I concur with the Carbondale police. Self-inflicted. Suicide. So we've gone from suicide to homicide back to suicide. I can't even imagine being the family of Molly and being told suicide, homicide, and then back to suicide. At that point, you have lost the family. They will no longer have any respect. They won't trust anything you say at this point. You've lost them. Ten months after Molly's death, a coroner's inquest took place. Six jurors heard the evidence. Their job was to determine Molly's cause and manner of death. For manner of death, they could choose from accident, suicide, or homicide. On January 31st, 2013, the jurors came back with her cause of death as gunshot wound to the head and her manner of death as undetermined Due to lack of evidence. Because no evidence was collected, or not enough, and they didn't lock it down. This is really upsetting for the family. Think? And it should be upsetting to anyone who wants cases investigated properly. I don't know how else to say that. I want to go through the, the suicide angle that the police take with Molly real quick. They said that on March 23rd, they found searches for the word suicide from her laptop. So this is pretty much the night before her death. Uh, The journals that they uh, seized from her house talked about how unhappy she was. These journal entries are from months, if not years, prior to this. Yeah, it had been quite some time since she had written in that journal. They also found the note, sort of a farewell note. Family and friends say, She wrote that when she had the cancer scare. 
That note's been around forever. That wasn't something she'd just written. They were taking it out of context. So back to the search for suicide in her search history. First off, have you seen my search history? Because it looks horrible compared to hers, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, she has a friend that says, I took her out to a concert that night. We were seeing a show together, and she didn't have her laptop with her. And this search said to have taken place at like midnight that night. And the friend's saying, then somebody else searched for it. I don't know. Maybe they're misremembering. Now, I've mentioned that they had a rocky relationship. Uh, There's this story that they went out to a show or a bar one night, and another man had approached Molly at the bar. Richie witnessed this, got upset, took it out on Molly, said that she was a slut and all these terrible things, and then left without her, left her at the bar. I know couples fight, but that's pretty extreme. And uh, I think that shows a level of impulsiveness, like alcohol-fueled rage. And we'll have more to say about alcohol later on. Yeah. August 2013, the Jackson County State's Attorney, Michael Carr, well, he opted not to file charges because there just wasn't enough evidence to prosecute. He didn't think that he could win a case with the evidence they had. Well, they didn't find gunshot residue on Richie, but when you get hours to douse yourself in bleach and take a shower and everything else and change your clothes, well, they can't really tie any physical evidence to you. When Richie is calling the dispatchers, talking to the dispatcher by name, getting in a personal level there, they're going to take his word for it. The one thing that this state's attorney does do is he said that the case would remain open. And that's pretty important because up to that point, it really felt like they were closing it. Now, Justin, Richie worked for the Carbondale Police Department as a dispatcher, but he had a couple of incidents, shall we say. He obviously likes alcohol. Uh, He got a DUI. And this was while he was working as a dispatcher. This happened in 2012. He's put on probation. And he ends up leaving his job. And in 2013, he gets arrested for a second DUI. Hmm. He gets a little time with this one. Yeah, because apparently he got a slap on the wrist for the first one. Maybe he had a good lawyer. Or maybe, just maybe... When one of your own, of law enforcement, gets in trouble, they don't come down as hard on you. When your parents work in law enforcement, you work at the station. I'm just going out on a limb here. Yeah, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. I mean, I understand that it's possible to get a second, third, and fourth DUI, but this guy gets two in a very short amount of time. But this shows that he's extremely dangerous and is an alcoholic. And has rage issues, really. Larry Young, her father, files a Freedom of Information Act to get the documents for his daughter's death. He submits all of them. He waits and waits and is denied. So at this point, he turns around and he files a wrongful death lawsuit against Richie. This is in July 2014. He wanted to hold Richie accountable for his daughter's death, believes that Richie murdered her, and investigators were covering up for him, knowingly or through incompetence, really. And in this suit, he says that uh, Richie called Molly at around 3 on March 24th, 2012, pretended to be drunk, and needed help. Now, he says pretended to be drunk because when they tested him the next day, he didn't show any alcohol in his system. I don't know if he was pretending or not. Uh, He could have been drunk. When she came over to his apartment, uh, it said that Richie shot and killed her. The suit says that he then wiped his fingerprints off the gun, showered, washed his clothes, and Richie waited a few hours before calling 911 
and told 911 that she might have overdosed and placed a pill bottle near her. Now, by the way, Aaron, that pill bottle was amoxicillin. I think you could take a whole bottle of that and you're not going to die. I wouldn't suggest anyone take a whole, you know, bottle of antibiotics, but... Well, at the very least, amoxicillin isn't something that you would think anybody would try to overdose on. What he's saying, though, is that this was a setup. It was a trap. Yeah. That Richie pretended to be drunk, got her to come over, and then murdered her, and then waited hours before calling 911. Now, because of this wrongful death lawsuit, discovery motions are put forth, and Larry has gained access to all of these files and all of these police reports that he was denied with the Freedom of Information Act, he finds out some really interesting things. And during this testimony, Wesley, remember Wesley, the roommate, he changes his story. So his initial statement was, and I'm just paraphrasing here, he came home, played his guitar, played some video games, checked on Richie, and then went to sleep, and then got up later and called 911 with Richie. His story changes to he comes home, does essentially the same things. And he says that Richie can't find his phone. He changes his story to he comes home and plugs in his phone, does all these things, and he finds Richie's phone. He wants to see what Richie had been up to that night, getting these text messages from Molly about how she might kill herself and he'll come home to this. Well, that would explain why he would go find Richie's phone to see what he'd been up to. But this is a different statement than he gave previously. And at this point, you think, okay, wait, why didn't you say that initially, that you'd found Richie's phone? And then how does that add in to when Richie wakes up, he tells you his girlfriend's dead and he can't find his phone? It's a major inconsistency for me. Once Larry was able to get the phone records for his daughter, uh, he noticed that text messages were deleted. There seemed to be a lack of communication between Richie and Molly prior to this incident, which he thinks is unbelievable because they were dating, they had all these things going on. So there are some questions if her phone was tampered with, And we have even the question of who did the search for suicide on her laptop. It's possible that somebody else sent those text messages. Richie was right there. Maybe he sent them. Unless he was too drunk. Yeah. That would be his argument. Also, there's questions about Molly's phone. It wasn't, I guess, turning on right or connecting to service correctly. There was something weird about it, which... That brings into question, was her phone and was Richie's phone tampered with? And then when you take into account Richie making that phone call back to Amber while he's being questioned, well, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but connect the dots. I understand why people think there is a cover-up here. I understand why someone would assume that something was done to their phones because they don't have the same information or what you'd expect to find. Law enforcement says that that's impossible because her phone was locked away in evidence. I don't know if anyone has seen the chain of custody documents and if that was ever broken. Well, given everything else that happened, I mean, can you blame him for going down that road? Not in the slightest. (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a lot more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, what would you use it for? Sometimes the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapy's helped me reflect on choices I've made in my life and helps me make better ones in the future. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time with no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash GenY today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GenY. Another thing he finds out is that some of the neighbors of Richie had reported seeing a police officer around the apartment at like 7 a.m. This is two hours before the 911 call. And this is kind of scary because... The neighbor claims that they asked the patrol officer, what are you doing? What are you here for? And that officer said, well, I'm investigating a homicide. So this Carbondale police officer is there two hours early investigating a homicide before a 911 call. Now, I don't know if I believe the whole witness testimony from the neighbor or not, but it's out there. Here's where it gets stupid. The police department's question about this They say, well, did you send a patrol officer out to check on Richie because he didn't show up for work? The police chief says, we wouldn't have sent somebody out to check on Richie because we were in contact with him that morning and he said he was coming in late. What? Okay, so think about that. We wouldn't have sent a patrol officer out to check on him because we were in contact with him and he said he was coming in late. That's completely different than the initial statement of he was woken up later by coworkers texting him, telling him to come into work. Again, if I'm part of the young family, I'm looking at this and all these inconsistencies coming from the actual police department and thinking, what on earth are you people doing? So how does this uh, wrongful death suit go for Larry? I mean, I think that he has an ace in the hole with this whole thing, right? The wrongful death lawsuit was kicked out on April 7th, 2015. Because he filed it two years and three months after the death of his daughter, the judge said, I'm kicking this out because you needed to do it within two years. Statute of limitation. That's a big problem because Larry was hampered. He was told that he would get all of the information, but he actually hasn't received all of the documentation. Most notably, isn't he missing some pictures? Yeah, and remember the Freedom of Information Act was denied. So (laughs) how is he supposed to move forward with his lawsuit in time if the very documents and things that he's asking for are denied him or where even when a court orders the police department to hand these things over, they just flat out refuse. So he's not able to get everything he needs in time to file the lawsuit. This is just insane to say that there's only a two-year statute of limitation. It's in 2016 when Larry works on getting Molly's Law passed. This law would not benefit his daughter's case, But Larry says he's trying to help other families. As we always see in a lot of these cases, they pass a law to change things for the better for the rest of society because of some wrong they've endured. Molly's law would essentially create a fine for investigating agencies when they refuse to turn over documents after a court orders them to do so. And then it would also require a wrongful death suit to be filed two years from the discovery of evidence instead of the date of death, which is more fair because, say, someone dies on one date, but then evidence isn't found for months. Of course, everything takes time. You file Freedom of Information Act requests if you're working with a court so that they can order an agency to turn documents over to you. Well, if you're already in the hole three, four months, It's not fair. So again, we have to deal with a statute of limitations, but this would give people more reasonable time to get these wrongful death lawsuits filed. It's so sad that we even need this law. It's so sad that we have to have these band-aids for things that should just be commonplace. But maybe I shouldn't be surprised that our government is so corrupt and and just uh, incompetent at actually helping and serving the people. So when you think about this case, I have to be honest, if you just look for evidence that supports the suicide angle, you can find it. Yeah. 
you can work your way pretty much to that point and say, yeah, I, I can see that. But Justin, there are at least a couple of things here that just seem insurmountable. When you look at this case, if you're really honest about it, there are a couple of things here that when you add in all the circumstantial stuff, it's really hard to see this as a suicide. I went in very open-minded and I had the the one side of the page with suicide, the other side of the page with homicide, and then you have the little check marks that you do. And, you know, you have a few check marks for suicide. She was depressed. They were in a bad relationship. She possibly found out that he was cheating on her in this moment of passion. She has this gun. But then when you do check marks for homicide, most, if not all, the physical evidence is a check mark on the homicide side of things. The way she shot herself just seems really unlikely. The blood evidence on his pajamas seems really unlikely. The lack of gun residue and back spatter, all those things on her is unlikely. His statement, well, he didn't really give a lot of statements because he just lawyered up and his roommate's statements changed a bit. I could believe suicide. I could believe that you could pass out drunk and sleep through a gunshot. I also can believe that he was so drunk that he might not even remember killing her. Some evidence that would support suicide includes Molly texting with her boyfriend the day before and telling him that she didn't want to live and that she had attempted to OD, but she was throwing everything up. So that, that puts the suicide angle right up front because we're talking about a time very close to that when she died. I, I don't think you can just throw this out. But when you talk about boxes and you talk about how Richie was able to clean up, he says that he was drunk and he, he blacked out. And you add in that Molly was shot a downward trajectory with her non-dominant hand. It doesn't seem to make any sense. And remember, she went over there to help him. If you believe the suicide angle, she was looking at his phone and she felt like he was moving on another woman and it upset her. And then she decided to give up. But this case wasn't properly documented. And if you think about there was blood on his pants and there was gunshot residue all over the place, but not on her hands. It just seems to me that this looks very much like a homicide. Would I put 100% on it? No. But I'd say it's a high percentage. The likelihood that this was a homicide, I'd feel more comfortable saying homicide seems likely here. Richie Minton no longer works for Carbondale uh, uh, Dispatching for the police. Obviously, he quit after he started getting DUIs, but he went on to get a job uh, for the fire department as a dispatcher. If you check his social media and whatnot, he just posts about sports and stuff usually. And I wouldn't tell anyone to go out and harass this guy or say anything to him like that because that's just wrong. But he's moved on with his life. People seem to be upset that he has a job dispatching for the fire department. Yeah, they feel it's wrong. But the fire department actually addressed this. They said they do check the backgrounds of people they hire, but they do factor in if they feel that people who have had questionable things in their past, if they have shown that they have worked to remedy those things. So in the case of Richie and his DUI as well, if he's gone through a treatment program and he's served his time, whatever it might be, they take that into account, which is admirable because why should you deny employment to someone just because of a questionable situation? And they're using their discretion and they feel Richie was a good hire, I imagine. And for those people who feel like he got away with murder, well, you're just going off of your perception of the evidence because number one, the police, I feel like they didn't do a great job investigating this case. They let Richie get away with a lot. 
Now you can say it's because of who knows him. He has law enforcement connections all over the place. But remember, he wasn't taken to court and charged with murder. This is a guy who, in the eyes of the law, had a couple of DUIs. Now, that said, all sympathy to Larry Young and his family, because this, for all intents and purposes, looks like a homicide, and it looks like the police just didn't care. Not the way that they do. Yeah, if they had investigated this, uh, we've covered cases where people are charged and convicted on far less evidence. The Young family planted a tree in Turley Park. It was a dogwood tree. This was in memory of Molly. They use it as a place to have a memorial each year on the day of her death. Larry asked the Archangels of Justice to look over Molly's case. It's a team of ex-law enforcement officers who want to uncover any injustices in the legal system. And if you go out to YouTube, you can look them up. The videos are a bit rough, but these guys, they sound like they know about investigations, about evidence, blood spatter, you name it. Some of the videos are pretty interesting, the way they analyze different aspects of this case. They fully believe that the police were either incompetent or were covering up what was going on, that the prosecutors are just going along with them. It's almost like a good old boys club. Now, when it comes to this Carbondale police force and this chief, you think, well, maybe this case, this is just one situation where they botched it, where it didn't work out. Well, there's this other case that happened in the same area under this same police department of Praveen Wargies. He was a student who was found dead. I don't want to give a lot of details because I haven't read up on it, but essentially they say he died of hypothermia or something, yet he had massive head wounds. It's just is ridiculous at this point. And I don't know what this police chief and this police department's doing. You know, it's frequently said that nowadays with advancements in DNA and investigative techniques that getting away with murder is getting more and more difficult. But I think your investigation is only going to be as good as the intent of the investigators and the tools they have at their disposal. This case, it really seems clear that They gave Richie the benefit of the doubt throughout the whole case. If this had happened somewhere else, you might have had detectives saying, wait, you washed up? Yeah, that didn't happen here. They're like, oh, you need to wash up? Cool. Hey, it's Richie. He's a dispatcher. We know this guy. Do you really know him? I mean, BTK, people thought they knew him. Richie's shown us that he's an alcoholic with rage issues, so... (laughs) Or at least he was. I mean, I don't know how he's doing now. He he may have cleaned up his act with, as far as the alcohol goes, but I, I'm not really going to sit here and blame Richie. This was up to the law enforcement at the time to investigate this properly. There were some things they did right, but so much went wrong. And it never really felt like they attempted to right their wrongs. The sad thing is maybe it just comes down to Molly Young, not that important of a player here. They know Richie. They don't know Molly Young. He worked for the police department, and it sounds like they never got to know her. You've listened to the episode now. Let us know what you think. Do you think this was a suicide, or do you think that it's quite possible that Richie took Molly's life using his gun? I will admit that I think we leaned heavy on the homicide angle, But that's just because I have a lot more checkboxes marked in that, and I don't have a lot in the suicide angle. I'm not saying it's impossible for her to have done that, but yeah, I'd like to know what you guys think too. If anyone wants more information about this case, go out to Justice for Molly on Facebook.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Generation Y podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.